0: Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Hey, we really are excited about next Sunday. It is going to be, as we say here at Coastal, a big big day. Uh, It is Life Group Sunday, as uh, Pastor Ryan said. Uh, But we're also kicking off a new series next Sunday uh, called Relationship Rescue. Um, And uh, hopefully you have one of these, a little postcard. We mailed this out to thousands of people this past week. And um, hey, and thank you all you guys watching us online. I always forget to do that. I don't always forget. Usually I remember. Um, But we're glad you guys have tuned in. And it's kind of a nasty day out there. So maybe some of you have opted to stay home but whether you're near or far we'd love for you to join in person and always thank you for engaging with us but again next Sunday it's going to be big and so we tell you hey pull out all the stops uh, invite your friends, family, neighbors, co-workers uh, to join us uh, because it is going to be a big day a lot of fun, we're kicking off this series uh, on relationships and uh, a lot of people are going to be here next week Uh, so take the postcard uh, hand it, give it to somebody uh, and bring them with you and uh and then also we also have uh these little um Uh, little small You're Invited cards. You can pick these up at stations uh, right as you exit through the glass doors over at guest services. And these are great little tools as well uh, to use to invite people to come to church. And so, hey, I I gotta share something with you. I have kind of a big announcement to make. I guess it's probably like the the most obvious, big surprise, worst-kept, secret announcement probably in the history of our church. But um, our church has been growing, and especially this particular service. And I've been making the plea now for a little while. Hey, if you love Jesus, come to the second service. Uh, Be a missionary. Go to the second service. You know, all the little things. And uh, we've added some chairs, by the way, uh, into this service. Last week, we were so packed during this service that uh, people came in and they couldn't find a seat. And some either left, hopefully not angrily, um, or they went to the gather space and kind of watched the service in there. So we've been doing little things to help with that. So we, you know, we added some more chairs. We're getting ready to add some more. And then if you probably noticed, as you came in, we even roped off kind of the back section of chairs so that as people come in, especially new people, it's a lot, then it kind of forces you guys to sit to the front and to the center of each section so that we can make more room for people. But all of that is really just a you know, little tricks, little tricks of the trade, little stopgap. So here's what's going to happen. Here's the big announcement. Uh, well, first of all, uh, Easter weekend here at Coastal, gonna be a big weekend. We're having uh, six services over three days. Uh, last year in person, we had over 1,700 people in those six services. This year, our goal is to break 2,000 in those six services. Sunday morning's three services will be 8:30, 10, and 11. And here's the big announcement. We will continue to have three services from Easter forward. So there you go. Now. So we need you guys to make a decision mainly, hey, am I going to come early to the 8.30? Am I going to go a little bit later to the 10? And then, of course, there'll be another option uh, for the 11.30. But we need you to help us because our church is growing. We're reaching people. God's using this place in, in a mighty way. And so we need your help with, like, seating. We need your help with being just friendly and welcoming as always. We also need your help with parking. Uh, we, 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 you know, we, the kind of joke around here that I always say, you know, the more you love Jesus, the further away you're willing to park. So uh, park at Hardee's. No, I'm just joking. You don't have to park that far. But um, we would we would really appreciate it if you would start parking uh, at at Oakland's parking lot. Not Orange Grove right up here, but Oakland. It's that first parking lot as you're coming down Arlington, right past the Greenway on the right. And that would definitely help with the transition, especially when we add three services and we're going back to back to back and we gotta get people in and out. So um, these are all great problems to have. And uh, again, keep inviting, keep reaching out. Between now and Easter, we're gonna do all the things. We're actually going to adjust the chairs, uh, the seating, add some more seating in here, but we can only do what we can do and then we'll add three services and move forward. Now, for that to happen though, here's what I need everybody to do. I need you to start volunteering in Coastal Kids. I need you to consider that. Because we add another service, that means we need a whole other service worth of volunteers. And uh, a key area, of course, is our great children's ministry, Coastal Kids. Now, all of our ministries are going to need volunteers, you know, whether that's First Impressions, cafe, everything. So everybody takes a little Connect card and look on the back where it says, on the back, uh, top right corner, uh, I would like to volunteer to serve, Circle One, Children, First Impressions, all these things. And uh, listen, if you currently serve in Coastal Kids and you serve like once a month, we're going to need you to serve like twice a month. And for those of you who are brand new to volunteering in Coastal Kids, it's not for life. In fact, we would challenge you today just to help us get it going from Easter on. Would you be willing to make like a six month commitment that I could serve in Coastal Kids? Uh, you don't have to serve every week, uh, it's usually like once or twice a month. And we have three services for you to choose from. But the big push will be between now and Easter volunteers, especially Coastal Kids. So you got me? Are you excited? Woo, okay, next Sunday's gonna be huge. So help us out. If you can, next Sunday, come to the second service. Now, let's just jump right in. I'm excited because today we kind of close out, as Ryan said, this section uh, of Romans. And I wanna um, bring back the theme verse of this entire, uh, the book of Romans. It's Romans 1, 16 and 17. It says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Because it is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, that's what the book of Romans is all about. That's what we've been talking about during the series, the gospel. And in the gospel, we find the power of God for salvation. And it's a salvation, remember, that's open to everybody, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, to anyone who believes. Now, For the first eight chapters, Paul's been expounding on that. And then in chapters 12 and 16, 12 through 16, which we will get to in the fall, he is going to apply what he's been expounding on. In other words, once you're saved, okay, this is then how you live out the truth of the gospel. And so that's going to be our big fall series in September, Uh, Romans 12 through 16. How does the gospel apply in everyday life? It's gonna be an awesome series we're excited about. uh, Romans 12 through 16 is very, very practical. The first part of Romans is very theological. Then it gets very, very practical. Now, before Paul could explain all of that, the, the personal implications of the gospel and how it applies, he had to explain its implications to the people of Israel. Because by and large, the people of Israel had rejected the gospel, and so Paul knew that these new Jewish believers are going to have some questions. Mainly, if the gospel is true, like you say, and the Jews by and large have rejected it, is there any hope for Israel? You know, has God permanently set us aside? And so, That's what Paul's been talking about in this section that we've been in now for a month or so, chapters nine through 11. And he's been talking about, sure, Israel has been set aside temporarily because of their unbelief. Remember, they didn't understand the holiness of God, the extent of their own sinfulness. They misunderstood the purpose of the law. And, of course, they, by and large, rejected the Messiah. But, as we learned last week, God's rejection of the people of Israel is only partial and it's not permanent. So, as we wrap up this section today, Paul's going to give us two more reasons why Israel is still a part of God's plan. Number one, if you're taking notes, Israel's rejection, or excuse me, Israel's restoration is promised. It's been promised. Look at verse 25. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Now, stop there for a moment. Remember, all this section flows out of this warning that Paul gave, we talked about last week, to the Gentiles who've been grafted into the tree of blessing that they better not be conceited. Remember verse 18, he said, don't boast. Verse 20, he said, don't be arrogant. And now in verse 25, he says, so that you may not be conceited. And in fact, the New American, it says, uh, the New American uh, translation, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. It's almost as like Paul knew that there would be some Gentiles, you know, who would be tempted to conclude that Israel's fall from grace was full and final. Okay? And it's like he anticipated that there There probably would be a segment of the church that would begin to think that they've replaced Israel now, you know, as God's favorites. And Paul's essentially saying, no, you don't understand. And then the pushback would be, you know, Paul's essentially saying, hey, nothing could be further from the truth. And and again, they might respond by saying, okay, Paul, but how do you explain Israel's present state of unbelief? And so he explains it to us right here. Look at the latter part of verse 25. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. Now, he already talked about their hardening in verses eight through 10, but now he adds a couple of qualifications to it. First of all, notice he says that Israel has experienced a hardening in part. In other words, it's only partial. You know, we talked about that last week. that There's always been this small remnant of, of believing Jews. And then secondly, he says, not only is it partial, but it's not permanent. And he uses these words. He says, they've experienced it in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And so the words until and full indicate, you know, time and completion. So this hardening, this falling away is only for a certain time and only until a certain action takes place. Okay, so what's the action? Now, Paul then says something, quite honestly, that just blows me away. He says, it's going to last until the full number of Gentiles has come in. Wow. Well, first of all, you know, come in, you know, to where? Come in where? Well, he explains, into the kingdom, into salvation. You know, the phrase there, come in, uh, is the standard word that's translated in the Bible for entering the kingdom of God. It's used that way in uh, Matthew 5.20, three times in Mark 9, again in John three five, Acts 14.22, Matthew 7.13. It's used to describe um, those who enter through the narrow gate. You see what I'm saying is that all through the New Testament, it's used in describing people who are entering into the kingdom of God, coming into salvation. But but the real question you probably have and honestly the one that I have is what what's the full number of gentiles? I mean again it says until the full number of gentiles has come in. What in the world is that number? The answer is we don't know. And anybody tells you otherwise is lying. We don't it's a mystery. But in Matthew 24, 32, Jesus said, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know the summer is near. What's he talking about? In context, he's saying, hey, read the signs of the times. You know, when you see something happening, when you see the budding of a fig tree and leaves starting to sprout, realize something significant's happening. Okay, the time is near, So Paul is saying that Israel's blindness, spiritual blindness, is only gonna last until a complete number of Gentiles have come to know the Lord. Now what happens after that? Well, verse 26, he tells us. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Wow. Now what Israel is he referring to? Well, he's just told us in verses 23 and 24, he's talking about those natural branches being grafted back in. Again, who are the natural branches? The, the nation of Israel. There's really no way to interpret that and still stay true to the text. In other words, the hardening of their hearts will come to an end. Somehow, some way, the nation of Israel is going to be grafted back in by God. That's his whole point of using this olive tree illustration, verses 23 and 24. Now, now listen to this amazing promise that God once made to Israel. Uh, in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 32. Listen to this. They will be my people and I will be their God and I will give them one heart and one purpose to worship me forever for their own good and for the good of all their descendants and I will make an everlasting covenant with them I will never stop doing good for them. I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me, and they will never leave me. I will find joy doing good for them and will faithfully listen to this and wholeheartedly replant them in this land. This is what the Lord says. Just as I have brought all these calamities on them. And he's talking about their captivity by the Babylonians. So I will do all the good that I have promised them. Okay, later on, Jeremiah goes on to describe the fulfillment of that promise in some very specific terms. And he re- refers to uh, the land there, th- them being restored to the land. He mentions the land of Benjamin, uh, places around Jerusalem, cities in Judah. And the remarkable, miraculous thing that our generation has seen, uh, at least the beginning of this taking place, Um, is, you know, the branches have budded. The the leaves have been sprouting because something significant has taken place. Now, for those of you who are students of history, what am I talking about? You ready for this? They're back in the land. They actually gathered as a nation. This ancient people who, listen to this, had been dispersed under captivity for like 2,000 years finally came back as a nation in 1948. Now, the problem is that our current um, 30-second attention span TikTok culture combined with our lack of history knowledge, okay, that is the world in which we live, doesn't even realize or remember that Israel became a nation again in 1948. You see, sometimes I think we can't see the the branches budding and the leaves sprouting because we don't understand or even know the times that we live in. I mean, think about it. While all their neighbors from centuries ago have long since, you know, passed the scene, Israel still remains. How do you explain that? I mean, How did they gather and become a nation after 2,000 years of being dispersed? Can you name any other nation that has been assimilated into other nations but after 2,000 years has been restored to its land and its original language? How many Babylonians do you know? Okay. Hey, by the way, on a kind of little side note here, and this is on your Connect card, we're actually planning another trip to Israel, uh, to the Holy Land. We went several years ago, we're planning another one in the fall of 2024. So, if you're interested in going, okay, this isn't like a financial commitment yet or anything like that, but you're just, you're interested in going. I want you to let us know on your Connect card. On the back of your Connect card, I think underneath, uh, yeah, underneath the next steps there in the bottom, right above prayer request to the right, yes, I am interested in going to Israel with Coastal in the fall of 2024. We're just kind of gauging interest right now. You know, do we have five people interested or do we have 25, okay? So check that box and let us know. But again, think about it. Israel's existence today is really nothing short of a miracle. You know, again, how do you explain it? There's really only one way. God preserved them. His promises have not been canceled. In promising to save Israel, God reveals himself, this is important, to be a covenant-keeping God. A God who keeps his word. Paul said, uh, describes God in Titus 1-2 as the God who cannot lie. And all of this is illustrated here in verses 26-27. through As it is written... The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sin. What a promise. The deliverer is gonna come. Gonna take away their godlessness, take away their sin, turn them from godlessness. Now, all of this, all this covenant keeping has its roots in Genesis 15 when God made a covenant with Abraham that was unlike any other covenant. Okay? He instructed Abraham to take a dove and a pigeon along with some animals and kill those animals. And with the carcass of those animals, he was to cut them in half and then arrange the halves opposite of each other. And then God put Abraham to sleep. And then the Bible teaches us, tells us that the Lord himself, almost like a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch, passed between those pieces. Now, if you know anything about the culture of of the times of Abraham, you know that covenants were cut by blood. And when you made a promise to somebody, you cut an animal in half and you walked together between the pieces of those animals, symbolizing the fact that you are cutting, you know, a covenant with each other by blood and you are vowing to always keep your promise. And if either party broke their commitment, their promise, you'd end up like those animals. Now, what is absolutely incredible about the covenant that God established with Abraham is that God didn't allow Abraham to actually go between the pieces. He put Abraham to sleep and he himself walked between the pieces alone. Why? Because God was making a covenant not dependent upon Abraham, but a covenant, a commitment, a promise, a vow dependent upon his own unchangeable character, his own nature. I mean, this is so awesome when you think about it. When God set out to redeem Israel, it was to fulfill a covenant that he made with himself. And when God makes a covenant with God, nobody breaks it. And so the redemption of Israel is based on this unconditional covenant that God made with himself. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here in verses 28 through 29. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. Now, stop there for a second. The nation of Israel, the Jewish people, that's, that's who he's talking about. Same as in verse 26. Paul says that right now, yes, they are enemies of God for your sake. In other words, they have been temporarily set aside because of their unbelief. Because of their, you know, and because of that, they're, they're enemies. But then keep reading. But as far as election is concerned, they are what? Loved on account of the patriarchs. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, well, sure, on the one hand, you know, they're the enemies of God based on their response to the gospel, but based on God's promise to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're forever loved. The word election here simply means to choose. When God sovereignly chose Israel and made a promise with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he bound himself to keep that promise. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He's not human, so he does not change his mind. He has ever spoken. Ha- has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? And the answer, obviously, is no, of course not. He never forgets. He never fails or falters. He never goes back on his word. And Paul said it uh, Or as he said in verse 29, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. They can never be changed. You know, it's interesting here, the word gifts in the original language is translated other places, uh, grace, or grace gifts, or the, the gifts that are the result of God's grace and mercy. Let me ask, can you earn grace? Can you earn it? No, no. It's all the result of God's mercy. And that's where Paul goes in verses 30 through 32. He says, just as you who were at one time disobedient to God and have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. Now, Paul's been reiterating this the whole time in this whole chapter, this whole section. Jewish unbelief Brought, brought about Gentile blessing. But our salvation, our salvation even today, listen, it's not by merit, it's by mercy. You can't earn it, you can't work for it. And so we have been included. We have been grafted into the olive tree, the fig tree, not because of who we are, not because we're worthy or good people, but because God in his mercy has enabled us to believe. And Paul is saying that the day is gonna come when God grants the same thing to the Jewish people and they will once again be grafted in. Verse 32, for God is bound And the word there in the original language means to shut in prison, shut up in prison. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may, what, have mercy on them all. Now, who's all? All there. It's everyone. Jew, Gentile alike, it's you and me. And the word disobedience here is an interesting word. It's translated um, unbelief in the King James. Uh, In the original Greek language, it conveys the idea of of not uh, allowing oneself to be convinced, you know, a hardening. And and so Paul is essentially saying that God has allowed man, mankind, uh, both intellectually, morally, to fall into a state of sin where he does not allow himself, where man doesn't allow himself to be convinced of the truth of God or the truth of his word. So, that the only way we can be saved is not by our own power, but by the mercy of God. Listen, you and I are believers today for only one reason one reason, and only one reason because of God's grace. His mercy. See, that's the good news of the gospel. Guys, it's not about being religious. It's not about being good enough. That's what what the Jewish people had tried their whole lives for generations. Just, we're going to keep the law. We're going to be experts at the law. We're going to do it. And God said, man, you don't understand my holiness. You don't understand the extent of your sin. It could never save you. It's just supposed to point out your need for a savior. And that's true today as well. You say, well, how far does the mercy of God go? How far does it extend? What does he say? That he may have mercy on them all, on anyone, anyone today, you, who will call upon the name of the Lord in faith. So let's summarize where we've been. Paul's taught us that, yes, while Israel has been temporarily set aside, again, that rejection, if you remember from last week, is partial, and it's passing. It's not permanent and then today we've we've learned that their restoration is promised and then one more thing i want to talk about and then we'll be done israel's restoration evokes praise Praise, man. I really believe this has been an incredible journey that we've been on, chapters nine through 11. And as we come to the end of this section in verses 33 through 36, it's kind of like Paul, picture him as this great mountain climber, you know, and he scaled the peak of his theology, scaled the peak of all of his arguments, and now he stands at the summit, the top of the mountain, and he's looking down and over everything that he's covered, everything that he's talked about, and it's like he's in absolute awe of the unbelievable, unfolding, redemptive plan of God. And so he just kind of breaks out here into praise. You know, his theology now becomes a song. Look at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. In other words, whoo, what a God we have. What a plan that he has that's unfolding, that includes Jew and Gentile, everyone, no matter race, no matter nationality, no matter who you are. I mean, and there's a sense in which he says, it's just beyond our ability to comprehend. Uh, Psalm 92.5 says, oh Lord, what great works you do, How deep are your thoughts. You Ever, ever experienced that? Man, you're just, you're, into, you're studying God's word, you're reading God's word, and you're deep into it, and it's just blowing you away. And you're not even, you know, near, nowhere near the bottom, okay? It's so deep. And then contrast that to Psalm 139.6. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful to me. Too what? Here, here he says, too lofty for me to attain. In other words, think about it. God's ways and his words are both too deep and too high to understand. I would agree with that. So then what's our response? What are we supposed to do? We're to walk by faith and trust him. And that's true today. We don't don't understand everything. I don't understand everything. The more I learn, the more I feel like I don't know. It's, It's both too high and too deep but I trust him. He's a God who keeps his promises and I'm willing to walk by faith. And then Paul asks three questions to reinforce this. Verse 34, who has known the mind of the Lord? Any takers there? You know? I mean, do do you understand God's mind perfectly? Notice the second question. Or who has been his counselor? Think about it. Who's God go to for advice? Who's he check in with? Who's his BFF? Hey, help me out here. Listen, nobody stands at God's ears giving suggestions. He doesn't look for our help in unfolding His plan. And then the final question, verse 35. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? This is the idea that, listen, our God, He's not a debtor to anybody. And yet, and yet, there is an entire theology today in the church, you know, in Christendom, in Christianity that is built on that, that you, you know, you give to get. You know, you, you give to, to get rich. You give, and God's gonna bless you. Listen, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Listen, this is a very important verse for today. God doesn't owe anybody anything. He's not in debt to anyone. His favor is never ever owed to anyone and never ever earned by anyone. It is always by his infinite grace and mercy. Then he closes this whole section with this. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, let me tell you something. As I said, I don't pretend to understand all of this. I don't know how or when Israel will return to God or come to faith and what that will look like and what is the full number of the Gentiles and how it's all gonna play out. In fact, if you look at the current state of politics and the the current state of uh, the nation of Israel, I mean, today, that seems almost impossible but so did their becoming a nation again after 2,000 years. All I know is God's faithful and he keeps his promises. And so today I wanna close this message, I wanna close this passage by reading another passage, but it describes the last days. And I think it might answer some of your questions. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 10. Listen to this. Most importantly... I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? Yeah. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Ever wonder that? Ever ask yourself those those same questions? Hey, why... Why hasn't Jesus come back? You know, that's what our faith is built on. Why hasn't he returned? Everything is just the same. Let me continue. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, The present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. A thousand years, it's like a day. Think about that. It was 2,000 years it took for Israel to move from captivity to a nation. In God's mind, in his equation, two days. You see, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people might think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone, everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord, it will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Do not Do not be deceived. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Judgment is coming, and the ungodly will be destroyed. And I want to ask you two questions today, they're important. Here's the first one Are you ready? Are you ready? You know, it says right here that the one main reason why it didn't happen last night, the one main reason it didn't happen this morning, the one main reason why the sky did not split last night, why the trumpet did not sound this morning, is that in his grace and in his mercy, He's waiting on more people to repent. More people to come home. Second question Is he waiting on you? I don't know when the full number comes in, but he's coming again. Are you ready? And is he waiting on you? Come home today. Come home today, right here, right now. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, thank you for your word, your eternal word. You're a God of promises, a God who does not change, a God who does not lie, and you're a God of love. And you are waiting, patiently waiting for more and more to choose you to come home, to be grafted back into your family. And God, I I know, I believe that there are people here The sound of my voice in this room watching online that need to come home. Listen, just pour your heart out to God right now. He, Of all, God knows your heart. He knows what's in your your heart and mind today. Just let him know. Humbly bow the knee and say, God, I do believe. I, I know I'm a sinner. I know a savior has been provided. Your son, Jesus, and today I declare him to be the Lord of my life. I believe he went to the cross. I believe he rose from the dead. He is alive. He is the Messiah. He is the king. And today I ask him to be mine. And for the rest of my life, until you do call me home or you come again, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm gonna follow Jesus. And God, light a fire underneath this church and your people. God, may we go out into the highways and the byways. May we reach out to people. May we share and and love and serve and give. Like we know, we know that you're coming again. We know that time is short. May we invite people to a place where they're gonna hear the good news about Jesus. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.